0: I wonder what it would be like if we were given the opportunity to go back and to stand witness to God's creation. If that he took us back in time, in fact, before the beginning of time and wrapped us in a nice little space bubble and let us sit in the bigness and the void of the universe as God begins to create and move. I wonder what it would be like if we got to see light break over the horizon of the formless world for the first time. If we got to see God take the shapeless waters and spread them back and bring up dry land. Or if we got to stand witness to the time when God spoke to the earth and says, you get to be part of this too. And trees and all the vegetation begin to sprout from the ground. And each creature comes from its own kind. I have to imagine. That if we were able to see the fullness of God's creative activity on display, that we would be overwhelmed. That we would never be the same. That we would come back into our little point in time and space and we wouldn't be able to stop talking about it. Everybody that we see, people that we know, people that we didn't know, we would stop them and say, let me tell you about the amazing thing that I witnessed. I saw the God of the universe sculpt everything that we have. The way that we speak, the way that we think, the way that we walk would be vastly different. We would see everything in this world through a completely different lens. We would 100% be forever changed but we don't have to go back. You see, the problem is not that we weren't there, but the problem is that we aren't paying attention because we get to see on full display the creative work and the beauty of creation given to us in God's word. But for most of us, it's easy to lose the awe and wonder of Scripture. To forget that when we read the pages of the Bible, that these aren't simply stories or myths from long ago. But this is the same God who spoke the universe into existence, speaking directly to his people. And so we get to approach creation each and every week as we go through this. And every time we open up the book of Genesis, we get to see God do exactly that. And so encountering God's word here should shock us and change us and shape us in the exact same way it would if we saw God creating the heavens and the earth through that same word. Scripture is God speaking to us. And so we should be struck with the awe and wonder of God's word every time we approach this text. But not only that, even though we weren't here to see all of this come into fruition and come into its own created state, we are constantly immersed in the beauty of God's creation. We get to see everything that God has made. And we get to see how it's continued to grow and shape and change over the generations and generations. And in fact, every time we look in the mirror, we see a miracle of God's design and God's creation. And so we have no excuse. We have everything that we need to be amazed by the God who makes good things. Last week, we looked at the fullness of Genesis chapter 1, and we saw God take the world from an empty, dark, formless thing and create it into something beautiful. And that as Genesis 1 structures these days out, as God creates, at the end of each day when God creates something new, he looks at those things and he says, it is good. And we came to the realization that God has a plan and a purpose and a design for everything that he has created. And because of that, it demands a response. It should change the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we move, the way that we perceive everything. It should not only change our worldview, but it should change who we are from the inside out. And so what do we do? What does that look like? How do we respond to the God who makes good things? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue looking at Genesis chapter 1. And we'll focus in today specifically in verses 26 through 31, but we're going to be talking about the entirety of the chapter again as we see God's goodness on display and then drag out of ourselves how we respond to that God. And so if you would, read with me. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, and this is the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, it's an overwhelmingly humbling thing to think about the fact that you not only create good things, but these good things that you've created, you've done so for your glory, but also for our good that you had us in mind when you created this world and all the things in it. And not only that, not only did you create them for us, but you gave us responsibility in that world. You invited us in to your governing of your good creation. But God, too often we neglect those responsibilities. We don't take them seriously. We're not caught up in the wonder and awe that we should have as we think about who you are and what you do and the good things that you've done for us. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you remind us of that first and foremost, that you help us to see as fully as we possibly can your goodness and your glory and your power, that you would help us to be in awe of all that you've made, but also, God, that you would help us take our responsibility very seriously. That you would change the way that we see the world and see those around us and even see ourselves. That you would change the way that we think and speak and move and act and put it all in accordance to your will and your purpose and your design for us so that we can live in a way that is good for us, the way that you've designed us, but also in a way that brings you all of the honor and the glory and the praise. And so, God, we ask that you speak through your Holy Spirit, that you teach us and guide us. And that you help us to never be the same, that we would leave this place this morning having the same awe and wonder and captive imagination that we would have if we were there with you at the beginning when the first green leaf poked itself up through the dirt that you pulled from the water. So speak to us, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we need to recognize is our response to this God who does good things and makes good things and creates good things is that we have a responsibility to be good stewards of God's good things. If you were with us, when we talked through the book of Luke, we looked at all of these parables that Jesus taught, and so many of them came back to being good stewards or good managers of the things that God has entrusted us with. The most familiar and the most popular is the, the parable of the talents, where this master is going out of town, and he leaves a different amount of talents or a different amount of his finances with some of his servants. His servants. And one of the servants takes their ten and goes and doubles those while the master's gone. One takes the five and doubles those while the master's gone. But the other one, out of fear and worry, takes the one talent that he was given and buries it under the ground, does nothing with it. And then when the master returns home, digs it back up, pulls it out, and takes his dirty, dusty talent back to the master. And the master was not pleased. This was an unfaithful servant who didn't take what the master had given him and use it for anything good or positive, but hid it away and hoarded it for himself just so that he could preserve the thing that he thought was so important. And Jesus teaches multiple parables that deal with the importance of good stewardship, of taking care of the things that God has given us. From start to finish inside of Scripture, we see that God entrusts humanity with a variety of different things, and he expects us to handle those things well. And when we think about what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, we see that God has created something of incredible value and of incredible importance to him, and he's placed it in our hands. Now, if I had something of great importance to me or great value to me, and I entrusted you with it for a season of life, I would fully expect that you would take good care of it. And if you did the same for me, if you had something that meant something deep to you, something that had great value, whether monetarily or emotional significance to you, and you gave that to me for a season of life for me to care for and to do good things with it, you would expect that I would take that role and that responsibility seriously. And so, of course, when God creates something that he deems not only good, but very good, there is an expectation that when he entrusts that creation with us, that we would take that responsibility very seriously. When God created the world, he did more than just shape a planet. We see in Genesis 1 that God is creating a temple for himself a place that his spirit will rest and dwell, a place where he will be worshipped and honored. And then when we fast forward to the New Testament, we see not only is God creating a temple, but he's raising up a kingdom for himself, a place that he'll rule and reign over, and he has entrusted all of that to us, to his people. But last week we talked about this, this thought process, this belief system of Gnosticism in the first century world. These people who had this belief that they had gained some sort of inner enlightenment that raised them up above all other things, and so they started to take this really Greek philosophy and integrating it into Christian teachings, and they started going around telling everyone that physical things are all meant to be cast away, they don't have any matter, they don't have any value, that all that really matters is enlightenment and the things of the Spirit. But that's not the way that Scripture presents God's big plan for creation. When we fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at the fall of man, the first time sin is mentioned inside of Scripture. And there are punishments that come along the way because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And we can usually rattle off all the things that happened. If you've been in church or in Sunday school or vacation Bible school at any point in time in your life, we know the serpent had the curse with the, the no legs thing crawling on your belly. And then the proclamation of the gospel that one day God is going to undo the results of the fall because the child of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And this beautiful declaration and prophecy about Jesus, we see the woman has her, her cursing and pain and childbirth and the longing after her husband, we see the man is cursed to work by the sweat of his brow and the ground is going to fight back with him. And we know the ultimate curse for that is death and separation from God. But one of the things that we can easily look over is the fact that in that passage, we're told that not only were the participants in that sin cursed because of what they've done, but the ground itself was cursed because of what they had done. They had taken God's good creation and brought something bad into it. They had taken the thing that God created step by step, day by day, and declared it good over and over and over again. And they had introduced something bad, something sinful, something contrary to the nature of God, and they had set it free in God's good world. And because of that, the effects of that sin echoed not only in their own lives, but in the very ground that God brought up from the waters. They were bad stewards. But sometimes we think about that and say, you know what? Everything's already broken. Everything's already messed up. And so it's all probably just going to burn one day. And so why do we worry about these physical things? Why don't we just focus on the spiritual things? Because one glad morning I'll fly away and it will all be fine. But God's plan isn't simply to redeem his people or to take us off into the distance somewhere where we'll be floating as some sort of weird spirit angel babies for the rest of all of eternity. But God has a bigger plan for that. As we talked about last week, it's God's plan to bring heaven to earth and to create everything new, and that's the spiritual and the physical that Jesus on his resurrection, as we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, brought forth the first day of new creation and this promise that not only can we be restored spiritually by trusting in Christ, but one day God is going to restore our broken bodies and this broken world as well. And Paul tells us in Romans 8 that not only are we awaiting that hope, but creation itself is awaiting that hope. In Romans 8:18 8, through24, Paul says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope." that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? And so Paul says that God is not finished with this world that was broken and cursed because of our sin, but he has a promise and a plan to come and redeem even the ground that we walk on that he's not only going to redeem us spiritually when we come into knowing Christ in salvation, but we have this promise and this hope that our bodies will be restored as well, and even the world in which we live and walk will be our home for eternity, but it will be renewed and perfected, brought back to the way that God intended it to be. Jesus teaches us that we not only have a new identity when we are born again, Spiritually through Christ. But we see that we are called sons and daughters, that we are children of God and friends of God, and because of that, good stewards of the things that God has created, and He's placed these things that He has a long term eternal plan in mind for, He's placed them in our hands and has entrusted us to care for them here and now. And so it's our responsibility to use our lives to declare that something better is coming. And this includes seeing God's good creation, even the physical, natural parts of God's good creation as good creations of God and caring for them, being good stewards of the land that God has given us, of the natural world that God has given us, of caring for it and acting like it matters because we believe that God has a plan and a design and purpose for it as well. And I don't think it's a long jump to say how we treat God's creation reveals what we believe about God and what we believe about our eternal hope. And so we need to put effort into caring for God's world that he has given us in preparation for the time when God will redeem and restore his broken world once and for all. And so we should be good stewards of the good things that God has given us. We also need to learn to see ourselves and others as good creations. We need to see ourselves and those around us as good creations of God. The old saying that goes along with this is that the definition of humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. But sometimes, especially in the Christian world, we get those things very confused and we start to find a sense of spirituality, or even confusing it for spiritual maturity, when we start to think of ourselves as something intrinsically bad. I read a biography from a Puritan writer, and this particular biography was incredibly immersed in God's grace, talking so much about how it's God's grace is the only thing that can redeem us and restore us. But throughout the entirety of the book, When he spoke about God, it was obviously full of grace and mercy. But when he spoke of himself, he never extended that same grace to himself. And yes, it is incredibly important for us to recognize our own depravity and our own sin. We need to recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Good grief, we do it every single week in our liturgy and in our services, as all of us together confess that we mess up in a variety of places in a variety of ways. But we also have that reminder of that assurance of pardon that God has saved us if we've trusted in Christ from the inside out and that he has made us a new creation. And so while we see God's grace on display in our weakness, we can also recognize God's grace on display in the strengths and the giftednesses that he's given us. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we see that there is inherent value simply in being created by God that the whole process of chapter 1 stops and changes. The language, the rhythm, the repetition, all of that stops for a moment as verse 26 comes in and God says, no, let us make man different. I'm going to make man in my own image. And then we see, as we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, God give this beautiful poem about creating humanity. It says, so God created man or humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We're taught in scripture that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that we are designed by an artist's heart, a God who loves and cares for his creation. And when he created humanity and set us loose in this world, he looked at a world that he had one time declared good and he said, no, no, now this is very good because my image has been set free in this world to spread and to fill it with my glory. But of course, we're also taught in Scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that none of us have escaped that toxin in our world that was set free. We all sin, we all fall short, and we do it on a regular basis. Even followers of Christ do this. And what that does is it takes that good image of God in our lives, and it begins to twist it and change it to where we can't fully reflect the goodness of God. We're designed to be mirrors, We're designed to reflect God's beauty and God's glory directly, but we're kind of like those weird funhouse mirrors or a dirty mirror where it's changed and warped, and instead of reflecting the goodness of God, we reflect something different. And so because of that, all of us who were very good at creation are guilty because of the fall. But that's not where our story ends. Because if we're in Christ, we are made new. We are declared innocent by a holy and just God. We are set apart and made different. And so that's how we should learn to see ourselves as well. In Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 10 through 13, finally be strong, in, or excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we need to learn to see ourselves the way that God sees us that not only were we created by God and fearfully and wonderfully made, but when we put our faith in Jesus and follow after him, that we are redeemed and restored, not because of anything that we have done, but because of a work that God has done in us. And again, that same God who fashioned the world in his hands has made us his workmanship and is sculpting us and shaping us to restore us back to his image, into the likeness of Christ so that we can do good things. And so God's grace is not only display on display when our weaknesses come through, but also when we live and move our and have our being in him, and we do those good works that God has designed for us, and we see ourselves as his workmanship, his grace is magnificently put on display for the world. And this is so much more than self-love or self-care. This is something deeper. This is recognizing that we are loved intimately and compassionately by the just and gracious God of the universe. And this should not only change the way that we see ourselves, but it should change the way that we see others as well. For starters, for other believers, When we look at people who come and are a part of our church, a part of the church with a capital C all over the world and throughout the ages, we need to begin to look at one another not as people who have a common interest, not as people who just happen to come to church on the same day every week and happen to be at the same church or happen to believe the same things or hold on to the same creeds. But when we see other believers in Christ, we should see them as co-heirs in Christ as brothers and sisters whom God has taken and shaped and made new and made whole, people that God loves enough to die for and has called us to do the exact same thing as well. We've talked before that it's not enough to simply be nice to one another, that it's not enough to be friendly with one another, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should love one another with an incomparable kind of love, a love that exists nowhere else in the world or in the universe, that when Christian brothers and sisters come together, we should see that inherent value as creations of God and that overwhelming miracle as being made new and made whole by the Jesus who gave himself for others and to be willing to have that same sacrificial love laying down our lives for the brothers and sisters every single day. But it also changes the way that we see people outside of the church as well. Because everyone does have that inherent value of being creations by a good and loving God with meaning and value who need salvation. People who, just like us, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. And so when we look at other people, we should see them and love them and want to lead them to Christ, to see their creation renewed within them. We are sinners saved by grace, but we have been saved to love and to serve, saved to be and move as something more that God has made in His image and restored to His goodness and one day we're going to see that in full. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3:18. He says, "And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." For those of us that are in Christ, God is daily taking that mirror and straightening out a little more taking the dirt that cakes it up and keeps us from reflecting his image, and he's wiping it clean a little bit at a time. And then one day, when Christ returns to make everything new, he's going to take that mirror and wipe it clean, and we will be able to fully reflect the glory of God, not just for that moment, but for all of eternity, and not a trace of dirt will ever hit the mirror again. And that's good news. That's the gospel that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we don't have to do the work. In fact, we can't do the work to save ourselves, but God loved us so much that Jesus, God incarnate, God becoming one of us for us, took on the sin of the world and took it to the cross so that if anyone just believes in him, you can be made new. And if you've never trusted in the message of the gospel before, then I urge you to not leave this place without talking with me or one of our other elders or small group leaders about what it means to be a new creation and a workmanship of God because it is a free gift that he gives to us. And so we need to learn to see ourselves and others as good creations of God made in his image. And then finally, finally, We need to flee from the things that are not from God. We need to learn to flee from the things that don't honor and glorify him. I love old game shows. I don't really love new game shows. It's a weird thing that just didn't really translate. I grew up watching the old ones because for whatever reason, if you live within the five-year window of me, I didn't grow up anywhere near the 50s, but my entire childhood was shaped by the 50s because you had four channels for most of my life, and all that ever played was Gilligan's Island and Dick Van Dyke, and I love those things, but that's just kind of where I stopped growing, I guess. And so I love the old game shows. And one of them on Let's Make a Deal, the famous let's make a deal shtick there it was you had three doors and you get to choose a door and you had a thing that had some value maybe you had your prize and you got to choose a door and then you'd have the opportunity to blindly decide if you wanted to take what was in the door or keep your present and go home it could have been something more awesome like a car but it also could have been a goat which for drew and kathleen might be exciting for the rest of us probably not <laughs> no kathleen's done with goats so <laughs> Also not exciting for Kathleen. But if we took that game and we narrowed it down a little bit and said, listen, you have two doors. And maybe one of them is really pretty and one of them is really ugly. But if I said this ugly door will take you to the place where you will have all of your purpose revealed to you. And you will know who you are and who you're supposed to be if you just walk through this door. But if you walk through this other door, this prettier door, it will take your purpose away and steal your value. It seems like a pretty easy choice because it doesn't matter how pretty a door is. We think, no, I want my purpose. (laughs) But it actually isn't really that simple, is it? Because all of us know that we have those two options. There are two ways to live for followers of Christ. There is a way that honors and glorifies God, that affirms the spiritual gifts that we have, that leads us more and more towards Christ, that helps clean that mirror off so that we can reveal the image and the glory of God. And then there's another way to live that draws us away from that, that steals our joy, steals our purpose. But that door sometimes looks a little prettier, and we seem to choose that more often than not. As we're going to see as we get to Genesis chapter 3, the effects that sin had on the world were great. Joshua Ryan Butler talks about how we release the powers of hell into God's good world. And we see that it infects everything that happens, not only in our world, but in our lives. We see the echoes of our own sin, and James tells us that we are are led astray, that we're tempted by our own evil desires, and those things are destructive. And yet, time and time again, we continue to choose those things. And the difficult situation that we're in is that when we trust in Christ for salvation, that we are forgiven once and for all. We're a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. That God sees us as his workmanship, as his sons and as his daughters. He redeems and restores us, but we aren't perfect yet. And that puts us in a very difficult tension. Paul describes it in Romans 8 as the battle between flesh and spirit, the part of us that's been redeemed and the part of us that's still waiting to be redeemed. And so we have these two natures battling inside of us, pulling us back and forth. Paul tells us over and over again that we should put on the things that matter. And I love that he uses that language. In Colossians 3:12, he says, put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching it and admonishing." one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, in Ephesians 6, 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and against the cosmic powers over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. In Ephesians 4, he says, this is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth of Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Paul tells us over and over and over again that we have this destructive force of sin in our lives, that it is the enemy, of God's good creation, even within our own lives and our own bodies. And we have this daily choice to wake up and say, I am either going to pursue those desires of the flesh that pull me away from God and steal my joy and my hope, or I am going to put on the new creation that God has given me. I'm going to put on that holiness. I'm going to put on that righteousness, and I'm going to walk in the way that draws me closer to him and helps me to reveal more of who he is and his glory. Too often we see sin as a hindrance to what we're trying to do as Christians or a misstep to our walk. But we need to learn to see it as an enemy in our lives, something to be hated and eradicated and destroyed because it is trying to steal our joy. It is trying to steal our purpose. It's trying to rob us of what Jesus died to give us. James in chapter 4, verse 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands your sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded he tells us to fight against that sin to flee from the things that try to keep us away from God and to put into practice confession and repentance going daily to God and humbling ourselves and then as James tells us that when we humble ourselves before God he will exalt us and lift us up and so we come to God daily. And we exchange our garbage and our brokenness and we get in return his goodness and his righteousness and the holiness that he's given us. And so each and every day we make war with those things that are not of God and put on the things that are. Learning to honor God and his good creation by resisting the sin that cursed the ground and replace those things with the good Christ honoring God, reflecting good works that we were designed for before the foundations of the world. God is a good God, and he has created good things. And we need to learn to see creation with awestruck, redeemed eyes and respond to all that God has done by being good stewards of the things that he's given us, taking good care of the place in which he has placed us and the things that God has provided for us, seeing ourselves as new creations by God through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit made to walk in good works who have been given value that will last for all of eternity. And then because of that, flee from the things that try to steal that from us. Flee from the things that try to add dirt to our mirror and wipe those things clean so that we can reflect God's glory. And not only that, but take his goodness and righteousness out into a lost and broken world and give the good news and the hope that Jesus saves and restores and put God's grace on display in each and everything that we do. This is not a suggestion that God gives us but a commandment for God's people to respond properly to the beautiful, wonderful creator God who not only loves his creation, but gave up everything to redeem and restore it. And so let's be the image bearers that we were called to be. Let's be the good stewards and the good managers that we were called to be, not simply when we come together on Sundays, but in every moment of every day of our lives with everything that we do Let's do unto God and bring him glory and honor and praise because he is worthy of all of it. Let's pray.